It's philosophy talk. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. What is fear? Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror. If one candidate's appealing to your fears and the other one's appealing to your hopes, you better vote for the person who wants you to think and hope. Is fear the engine of civilization? Our guest is Corey Robin, author of Fear, the History of a Political Idea. Remember what the wise man said, there's nothing to fear. Fear, coming up on Philosophy Talk. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Ah, except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. We're continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Today, fear. You must not fear, Ken. Fear is the mind killer, the reason killer. Fear is a little death that brings total obliteration. Face your fear, Ken. Oh, thanks for the advice, John, but we're not really talking about that kind of fear. We're talking about the use and abuse of fear as a political tool. Well, you mean we're going to discuss the way politicians stoke our fears to mobilize us into action, to stifle dissent, and to justify all sorts of repressive politics? Yeah, that's the, one of the kinds of things we're going to talk about. But you make it sound as if uh, the political use of fear is always illegitimate. But some things are worth fearing. And fear can sometimes, sometimes, lead us to do the right thing. We fear the consequences of global warming, so we take actions now to prevent it from happening. Well, there's support for your uh, love of fear in the philosophical tradition. Uh, Thomas Hobbes, one of the founding fathers of social contract tradition, claimed that fear drove us to form societies. He claimed that in the state of nature, without society, human life is solitary, nasty, brutish, and short, because everyone fears one another, because everyone is at war with everyone else. So to end this war of all against all, Hobbes says, we have to enter into civil society and surrender all power, all power to invoke fear, to the state. So for Hobbes, fear is actually a good thing because it's the glue that binds people together. Exactly. Hobbes thought all power should be concentrated into the hands of the state, the Leviathan, so that we no longer need to fear each other. But what about the state itself? Now we have to fear it. Well, right. Of course we should fear the state. But maybe but Hobbes seems to think that's a good thing because instead of a thousand little cockroaches constantly nipping at each other, we jointly surrender power to the big kahuna of the state and we charge it with keeping order among us. Cross up the state and you're really in trouble now. That sounds like tyranny. There needs to be some limit on the state's ability to use the instruments of fear to impress its will upon us. Otherwise, the state will just run amok. The tyrants of the 20th century, Stalin, Hitler, Mao, Franco, Pol Pot, and many, many imitators. They should have taught us that. Well, I agree with you that the, the, a state with the exclusive power to exercise the instruments of fear would be a really ugly sight. 
But, you know, a state with no power to cause fear would be, well, a wimp of a state. What would the law be, for example, without the backing of force? What would a state's inherent right of self-defense amount to without a kick-butt army to back up that right? But fear, fear leads to a lot of bad stuff. I mean, here in California, we've got this three strikes and you're out because of our fear of criminals. It really doesn't do much to diminish crime, but it's practically bankrupt the state. I mean, fear's a dangerous tool. I, I agree with you about that. And think of the entire war on drugs, not just here in California, but across the country. It's turned the U.S. into the world's biggest prison house, but I, I can't see that it's done much to solve our drug problem fundamentally. And, and there's a general point. When social problems are framed in ways that are intended to maximize and exploit our fears, we're liable to take actions that are way out of proportion to the problem. Well, you see, I was right. Fear really is the reason killer. A mind seized with fear makes us do all kinds of irrational, crazy things, way out of proportion to the dangers posed by the objects of our fear. Which leads to the question, John, just what role should fear play in our political discourse? How do we distinguish legitimate from illegitimate appeals to fear? And could there be a politics based more on hope than on fear? Well, in a little bit, we'll be able to put these questions and more to our guest, Corey Robin. He's the author of Fear, the History of a Political Idea. And we'd also like some help from our fearless listeners. The number to call is 1-800- You're listening to an encore presentation of Philosophy Talk. The phone lines are closed. But before that, our roving philosophical reporter, Rena Palta, gets some firsthand advice on the political uses of fear. She files this report. Politicians have one big thing on their minds at all times. Vote for Pedro. Vote for me. Vote for Pedro. Winning elections. This is one of the guys who helps them do it. I'm Jim Ross. I'm a political consultant. Ross has worked for San Francisco Mayor Gavin Newsom, Oregon Governor Ted Klingoski, and current Oregon gubernatorial candidate Bill Bradbury. Ross says understanding politics means embracing the fact that no one makes purely rational decisions. And that's not a bad thing. It's just how we're wired. People make rational decisions based on an emotional response. You know, so they will take a piece of a policy or an issue and they'll make a decision, a rational decision, based on how that makes them feel. So I would say everything in politics at some level is based on an emotional appeal or an emotional response. And one of the most instinctive human emotions is fear. It has a storied place in American history. Politicians use fear to energize voters, but they also warn against its power. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Whether it's Franklin Roosevelt trying to, to get people over their fear and saying, you know, we have nothing to fear but fear ourselves, to, you know, the famous Lyndon B. Johnson uh, ad with the little girl counting down and pulling the leaves off a daisy and then a nuclear explosion. Vote for President Johnson on November 3rd. The stakes are too high for you to stay home to even this last election cycle, presidential election cycle, with Hillary Clinton and the 2 a.m. call. There's a phone in the White House and it's ringing. Something's happening in the world. Who do you want answering the phone? So fear has been a, a kind of overriding trend in modern American politics. But fear can be a useful tool in drawing attention to an issue that's not gaining enough steam on its own. Issues like... Global warming. 
This ad by the Environmental Defense Fund shows a barreling train. Some say irreversible consequences are 30 years away. 30 years? That won't affect me. As the train draws near, we see it's about to hit a pouting little girl. Political consultant Jim Ross says that Save the Whales and other sorts of aspirational messages have advanced the environmental movement somewhat. But positioning global warming as a crisis and giving it a sense of urgency has pushed it more towards the mainstream consciousness. There's a lot of people that have real fear, but others, they just see it as a, you know, it's a crisis. It's something that we need to fix. It's more the difference between, oh, you know, I got up this morning and my car won't start to, oh, I'm going down a hill and my brakes don't work. But visceral emotions can't sustain over time, which is why, Ross says, advocates of climate change policy have changed their message. They've turned to marketing the fact that green innovations could help the economy. That's, I think, with fear, the problem as a political communications tool is it's a one that only works for a very short period of time. So you can use it for a while to accelerate a debate or accelerate attention onto an issue, but eventually you're going to have to insert an aspirational message of some sort into that, into the mix there, or people will get burned out and they'll just ignore it. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Rena Palta. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.